This week, the police dealt with the blowback to their handling of the convoy. And as a cherry on top, also dealt with the blowback to their confidential plane. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 167, where once again, we learn that when we promise what the next episode will be about, that's just an error in our judgment because, well, a couple years worth of stuff has happened since last week. We'll get into it, but first we've got to get into the rapid fire segment. The Calgary Zoo is asking visitors to keep masking in order to protect a pregnant gorilla, leaving many Calgarians wondering how Jason Kenny got pregnant. Emilia Hausch, a University of Alberta student with an interest in the climate, recently finished a king-size quilt charting the changing climate of Edmonton with differently colored squares. Apparently, her Certificate in Sustainability program did not contain any courses outlining the irony of making a blanket to commemorate warmer temperatures. The Ribbon of Green Area Redevelopment Plan, currently being updated by the City of Edmonton, could see 90% of Edmonton trails closed to mountain bikers. But despite protests, the City of Edmonton does not see a problem. Said a department head with knowledge of the matter, quote, We don't have any mountains in Edmonton. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Boys and Girls Clubs and Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Edmonton and Area, also called BGC Bigs, needs you now. Consider sharing your time with a young person. They want to hear your stories. Over the past year, BGC Bigs heard from young people that having a mentor means they are less likely to have anxiety, feel isolated, or struggle with their mental health. But there are over 600 young people waiting for a mentor in their lives today. There's currently a need for mentors in the Big Siblings program, in school, the Youth and Care program, and also for BGC Big's new PRISM program, which supports 2S LGBTQ plus young people. There's also a need for virtual tutors who can support young people as they transition back to school and are dealing with the learning loss over the past two years. You can join BGC Big's for a virtual coffee at their website, which is bgcbigs.ca, or, you know, just Google BGC Big's Edmonton. There's a bit of fortuitous timing that as you were talking about the young people, we got to hear your little young person in the background just ever so faintly. Just ever so faintly. Yep, there she is. Not yet in need of a mentor, but maybe one day. We need to start the episode with a bit of a correction, maybe clarification, probably. We talked in the last episode about Councillor Rutherford's motion to increase the number of commissioners on the Edmonton Police Commission, and we had speculated about what would adding an additional city councillor do to the makeup of the Police Commission. Turns out, after clarification, Councillor Rutherford is not seeking to add another councillor seat to the Police Commission. No, so the clarification is that the current Police Commission is 11 members, and they want to increase that by one to make it 12. The reason this was so confusing, I think, is because of the way they worded it. The size of the commission is 11, but they have a vacancy. So they've been interviewing candidates to fill that vacancy, and now they want to add one more. So that's where the number two came from. Councillor Rutherford clarified with us that they are not planning to change the number of, as you say, city councillors. So out of the 12, if this goes ahead, only two of them still would be city councillors. The other confusing thing about this motion I found, Troy, is that in all of the wording, they kept talking about add another city of Edmonton appointed councillor. They kept talking about this new one being appointed by city council every member of the commission is appointed by city council. So they could have just said, we want to expand from 11 to 12. And that would have been a lot clearer. Well, now that we got that segment where we were wrong out of the way, let's move on to the segment where we were right. And that is, there is no restrictions exemption program in the city of Edmonton. We called it last week. It's not a big surprise. This came to council on Friday afternoon in their special meeting. And uh, right away, there was a motion put on the table to simply receive the report for information. So if that passes, it means there's no other motions about it. They can't decide to do anything different. They had some discussion and they heard from administration about how hard such a program would be to enforce and ultimately voted nine to four to just receive that report for information. So just councillors Jans, Salvador, Stevenson, and Wright voted against that. And in theory, then, we presume wanted to see something different happen, at least an exploration. But it wasn't to be. They voted it down. I don't want to belabor this point too much. And maybe I'm just contrarian because, you know, we had both agreed that this was the inevitable outcome. But as the meeting progressed, I found myself more and more frustrated 
that we weren't going to have a restrictions exemption program. And I'll tell you why. It became very clear as the conversation went on that council was deciding it was far too arduous to enforce a restrictions exemption program, but we absolutely need to keep the mask bylaw. But there was a very salient tweet from Katie Ingraham, uh, who many might know as the owner of Fleisch, that operationally for a business owner, there's no real difference between enforcing a mask bylaw and enforcing a vaccine passport or restrictions exemption program. Right. She's right. I became more and more frustrated as counselors were talking and essentially arguing against themselves. They were talking about the value of restrictions exemption program, the value of vaccinations, how the province is moving too quickly, but I'm still going to vote against this motion. And I found myself actually growing quite weary and angry with it. My anger basically culminated with Two tweets. One that came from Andrew Knack in reply to one of my admittedly sarcastic comments. And he said that our legal ability to close down businesses that violate our bylaws is very limited. I've been dealing this with a Ward Nakota Iska business. Um, That legal authority that the province had uh, makes a big difference on this file. And I found myself growing very frustrated that council, it was essentially hand-waving it away. We don't have the powers to enforce a restrictions exception program, but we do have the power to enforce a mask bylaw. Of course, Councillor Knack jumped in and said, oh, we don't actually want frontline staff to enforce the mask mandate. Let's leave that to bylaw. Why can't bylaw enforce the vaccine passport? I, I was growing very frustrated with that. And it seemed a lot like what we'll talk about with the police, where council, in this regard, sort of just hand-waved away, said, we can't because reasons and you have to trust us. And I'm not sure that I do. Yeah, I think I agree with you that in terms of, you know, that experience that someone would have coming to a restaurant or a business, it is that frontline, you know, worker who is burdened with saying, I'm sorry, you need to wear a mask or can you show me your QR code? The point that Andrew Knack made on Twitter in response to you that maybe is a little bit more salient about the difference is that if you don't wear a mask and Bila comes through some magic, because we don't have that many bio officers just floating around, (laughs) then they find the individual. But if a business chooses not to enforce the restrictions exemption program, if the city decided they wanted to do one, then they have to do something about the business. So it's a difference between the individual and the business. Isn't that what he was trying to say? Yeah, he was trying to say that, but he's wrong and missing the point. Uh, If a business chooses not to enforce a mask bylaw, we still can't shut down the business because we have the same rules. Yeah. No matter what, we're enforcing against individuals. So why isn't it individual enforcement? No, the business isn't liable for not enforcing the mandate, but you're liable for entering a business that requires vaccination without a vaccination. Yeah, I hear you. Okay. Well, we didn't get a restrictions exemption program (laughs) either way. So uh, presumably you weren't surprised, even though you found yourself thinking maybe we should have. I don't think anyone in the province now has implemented one. In fact, most jurisdictions have been quite keen to remove theirs right away and uh, any other restrictions they have right away in in anticipation of the province's mask mandate going away. One other thing I want to say on this before we move on is I found myself growing exceptionally frustrated with how opaque and obtuse Mayor Sohi was being as chair of this meeting. I'll clarify that because administration had prepared two bylaw options for uh, implementing a restrictions exemption program. And I would think that if we're talking about implementing or not implementing a bylaw, seeing the bylaw is a pretty valuable thing to do. You think. And at one point, Councillor Michael Jantz asked, he said, well, can we see the text of the bylaw? And because the motion on the floor was for either receipt or not receipt of information, the chair ruled that in order to see the text of the bylaw, they would need to amend the agenda to add those bylaws to the agenda. And in order to amend the agenda, they had to deal with the motion on the floor, which was receipt of information. So essentially, they would have to vote down the motion for receipt of information before they could even see the text of the bylaw. Now, that's frustrating and bureaucratic. But what compounded my frustration is... Amarjeet Sohi, of course, voted for receipt of information, effectively yep. killing the restrictions exemption program. And then after tweeted, Edmonton, we've heard you loud and clear, and we explored all options to implement a municipal restrictions exemption program. But he didn't even look at the text of the proposed <laughs> bylaw. All <laughs> options were absolutely not explored. We all knew it was going to get voted down, but at least look at what you're voting down before you vote it down. 
that's my frustration with this. I hear you. There was a definitely a bit of a performance happening on that Friday afternoon, right? As you say, even with people saying one thing in their comments and then voting in a different way. And, uh, and the mayor's comments were evidence of that as well. There was one thing that stood out to me from that meeting that was quite interesting. I was live tweeting it, so I was listening. And then all of a sudden, city manager Andre Corbold spoke up and said that the city of Edmonton had just received some news. And he shared with councillors that the city of Edmonton had been granted a temporary court injunction addressing the nuisance noise downtown from the convoys. And this is kind of interesting because it started to make its way into some of the councillors' comments about why we weren't doing a rep, we were doing these, taking these other actions. And uh, and there was quite a bit of excitement on Friday, even though the municipal exemptions program was voted down, not maybe a big surprise. This court injunction kind of came out of nowhere. No one knew, I think, that the city of Edmonton had applied for this in the first place. And I think many people left Friday feeling fairly hopeful, actually, that something was about to change on the Saturday morning. I know that I was jubilant even. I thought this was very forward thinking and this was a big signal that things were about to change and change for the better. And Mac, they did not. No, they didn't. The honking maybe started a little bit later on Saturday than it would have normally, but it still happened just the same and still was loud and relentless. Uh, So the temporary injunction, which is in effect, by the way, until March 4th, and it prohibits nuisance noise, so the blurring of horns or any of that kind of stuff within the city's boundaries until March 4th, didn't really do anything. And one of the reasons it didn't do anything, Troy, is because injunctions are just pieces of paper. Someone actually has to enforce them, and that did not happen on Saturday. No, it did not. Uh, I think this weekend was most aptly punctuated by Edmonton police not doing their jobs. That was the sentiment of much of Edmonton, especially those posting on social media, much of Edmonton that was frustrated with honking because, like ourselves, many downtown residents saw the injunction as a sign of the end. We are going to end the convoy and we now have the courts on our side to do it. Because previously, when police didn't enforce, an argument was made that... (sighs) They don't want to violate constitutional rights. They don't have clarity from the courts that they can enforce against this convoy. Well, the injunction gave them crystal clear clarity, and yet no enforcement occurred. Except, of course, for the people on foot and on bicycle that attempted to stop the trucks from stopping traffic. Around 1.30 in the afternoon on Saturday, there was about 20 or 30 people that were on foot, they were on bikes, they went to River Valley Road, and they stopped the convoy. There was a huge number of trucks and vehicles uh, driving toward downtown along River Valley Road, and people stood in front of them. They had signs with slogans like, honk if you love vaccines, and let the babies nap. And uh, there's an aerial shot that if you've been online at all in the last week, I'm sure you've seen of these, you know, brave couple of dozen people standing there in front of this convoy of vehicles. But it didn't last very long because the police got involved. Yeah, you missed my favorite sign, which was honk for gayer marriage. Um, Uh, Yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, the counter protest lasted about 40 minutes total. And we saw some pretty startling images where police had been nowhere to be seen during the other convoy, except perhaps giving children rides in their police car. But as soon as pedestrians and cyclists stopped the convoy from moving, there were two or three police vans that showed up, police poured out with billy clubs, and started threatening protesters with charges under the Critical Infrastructure Defense Act if they did not move immediately. And for me, Mac, this was the last straw. Uh, I'm usually pretty reticent to do things dramatic, like call for resignations. I find it usually tacky and useless. The hashtag resign Jason Kenney on Twitter, I find, is a waste of characters because who's it going to convince? But I straight up tweeted that it was time for Chief Dale McPhee to resign on Monday because with a court injunction, at this point, city council wants the police to do their job and enforce and stop the honking. Residents of Edmonton, by and large, the vast majority, want the police to do their jobs and stop the honking. Taxpayers pay $400 million. That's over $1 million per day for the Edmonton police. And they want the police to do their jobs 
And the police have said that in light of courts, in light of citizens, in light of counsel, they are not going to do a single gosh darn thing. That is too much and too rich for me. I was also very upset on the weekend at the images like you. I was also annoyed by the communications from the police in the last three weeks. We saw zero tweets from the police asking the convoy to move along, asking the convoy not to block roads, asking the convoy to you know not honk their horns. But as soon as these counter protesters are out there, they're tweeting asking for them to leave. This is before they send in the multiple vans of cops, of course. So just a highly disproportionate response is what people saw. And I tweeted about it as well, like you. I didn't call for resignation, but I said, I think city council and the people who are supposed to hold the police accountable need to ask some very serious questions. And the people that are supposed to hold them accountable is the Edmonton Police Commission. And indeed, on the weekend, we saw Councillor Jans, Salvador, Knack, probably some other folks, encouraging citizens to complain to the police commission. And we saw people sharing the link for the upcoming meeting of the police commission. The sort of message was, we hear that you're upset about how the police are handling this, the way that we hold the police accountable and find out how well they're doing is through this body called the Edmonton Police Commission. You should go talk to them. And on the one hand, I can kind of understand that. But for the councillors to be doing that when it's the councillors who appoint the commissioners, it's the councillors who set the budget. It felt like a little bit of a dereliction of duty to just point people to register for the, the police commission meeting. Even with all of that happening online, I think it's fair to say that we went out of the weekend and into this week with people fairly unhappy about how things were going. The mayor picked up on that and tweeted that he had met with the chief and the chair following the events of the weekend, the chair of the police commission. And he said, quote, they assured me they are listening to your concerns and keeping everyone's safety and well-being at the forefront as we navigate through these trying times. I want to stop you on that tweet because at this point, I'm noticing a pattern of behavior from Mayor Amarjeet Sohi that I think I can only quantify as a lack of ambitious leadership. Look, I made the cringiest video of the uh, 2021 election, Amarjeet Sohi, the Hamilton parody. To say that I wanted Sohi to win is an understatement. And indeed, if I could go back and change my vote now, I would absolutely vote for Sohi. He was the best mayoral candidate, and he still remains to be. But the promise of Sohi was so much higher than what we've received so far. I'm thinking of things like his first act out of the gate being rehashing an anti-racism task force that we've already done two or three times in the past. I'm thinking of when these convoys started, he puts out a weak statement, not saying go home convoyist, not saying we're going to stand up to this. No, instead saying let's buy some gift cards to downtown businesses. I'm thinking of during the budget discussion when Mayor Sohi said he wanted to freeze the EPS budget, but when the police came asking for more money, he decided let's split the difference and give them a $6 million raise. I'm thinking of this week during the vaccine passport discussion when confronted with a provincial government holding the city hostage and refusing to consult with the city on any measures, Amarjeet Sohi makes a subsequent motion saying, pretty please, Jason Kenney, can you please consult with us in the future? And I'm thinking of this tweet that Amarjeet Sohi just made that he met with the EPS chief and they assured us that they hear our concerns. The assurances of the chair and the assurances of the police chief are at this point as worthless to me as Amarjeet Sohi's tweeted assurances. I think Edmontonians wanted significant change. They wanted action and they wanted to build a more inclusive Edmonton. And I think Amarjeet Sohi's propensity for collaboration and his propensity for consensus building in the face of a minority of Edmontonians holding us hostage through these vitriolic and racist convoys. Consensus isn't meant to be built here. This is where we need a leader to push us through and to win. We need to win against these minority of Edmontonians holding us hostage. And that is not leadership that I'm seeing from him. That's not leadership that I'm seeing from the police. And that's certainly not leadership that I'm seeing from the police commission. Yeah, not even minority of Edmontonians. Many of them aren't even from this city. Uh, that is a true fact. 
I don't know how to top that, Troy. So I'm going to keep <laughs> going with our our little uh, story here. I think your points about Zohir are valid. And I do think, you know, when he was on our show, he talked a lot about that desire to be collaborative. And to he, we've seen that in his discussion so far with the province and, and the relationship between the city and the province, as well as all of the examples that you cited. So I guess we will continue to keep our eye on how so he navigates that. Following his tweet, we then, of course, this week got the op-ed from the chair of the police commission, John McDougall, which we will come back to. And we got a YouTube media availability with police chief Dale McPhee trying to lighten tempers or temper the mood, however you want to put it. Don't think it went very well. So all of this led up until today, which is Thursday, February 17th, when we're recording and the Edmonton police commission meeting. I listened and watched that entire meeting and have many things to say about it. But before I get into it, Troy, I think we should hear from a citizen who was actually there to speak to the commission about her experience. There were a number of people who spoke during the public input portion of the police commission meeting, and they all spoke about how the police have handled the situation. They all thought it was important, I think, to, to express uh, the citizens' perspective on what has happened over the last three weekends. And one of those people was... Michelle Peters-Jones, who is a citizen who had an interaction that she shared with the commission on Saturday, and we wanted to invite her on the show to hear a bit more about that. So welcome to Speaking Municipally, Michelle. Thank you for having me. So maybe start by telling us uh, a little bit about yourself, but then why was it important to you as a citizen to go and speak to the commission? So I don't actually reside in downtown, so and I don't really get downtown very often. But on that Saturday, I actually had to go downtown to pick up some books. I am a transit user. So normally when we take uh, transit, we take a bus and we take it all the way to downtown and then catch a bus from there to Audrey's Books, where I was going to go and pick up some books. I am a visible minority. I am also a woman. I'm fairly small in state stature. So before I went to bend downtown, I actually remember uh, putting out a tweet saying, hey, how's the uh, you know situation downtown? Is it safe for me and my child to come downtown? Mm-hmm. So I didn't really get a lot of responses to that. But So I assumed it was actually fine and there was no protests planned. So I went downtown. But when I was in Enterprise Square... I was standing by the bus stop there waiting to catch a bus and with a few other people. Essentially, when we were there, we realized that we were actually at the start of the protest. This was the walking protest and they came down uh, Jasper and came close to Enterprise Square as well. And at first, I actually didn't think much of it. But then I realized that I was actually masked and so was my son. As they were walking along, I could see a lot of pretty hateful messages on there, include, and, and they all included the flag, which my son picked up on. And he said, uh, Mommy, you know, they all have a flag. Is this a parade? I might have called it a not-so-polite name, but let's not focus on that. <laughs> After that, uh, as they were passing along, a couple people kind of came up, and they were, like, skirting around us, and they yelled at us, saying, Stop being sheep! You don't need masks anymore. Don't live in fear or something of that sort. I was not very happy at that point because I was actually getting a bit nervous because not only am I a visible minority, but I'm also masked. And most importantly, I had my child with me and that was making me very nervous. So I immediately started taking on my phone and started recording. But at that point, uh, those two people had passed already and I didn't really catch very much after that. Other than, you know, shouts of we want freedom and, uh, you know, F Trudeau and all that kind of stuff, which wasn't very nice to hear on a public road, especially with the flags going by as well. At that point, I was very nervous and I started looking around wondering if there were any policemen standing around so which I could kind of just go and hang out with them and feel a bit safer. To my absolute horror, there was absolutely no one. There was not a single policeman at the beginning of the protest, during the protest or even after the protest. And this was at a public bus stop where there were quite a few people waiting for us. And the bus was obviously delayed because of the protest. Eventually, the bus did come and we got on the bus. We went to Audrey's Books. But as we were coming out of there, we realized that we were at Bank Center in the middle of the truck convoy. Mm. And they were loud and they were obnoxious. And this was not the kind of language that I wanted my child to hear on the streets of Edmonton. We eventually got back home, but as who someone who was not a citizen of downtown, I actually felt terrible for people who actually lived there, you know? 
Yeah. So that was that was not a very pleasant experience. So why did I want to speak to the police commissioner? I felt unsafe in my own city, and that is not right. Thank you for sharing your your experience with us, and I know you've had to do that a couple of times now because you did it for the the commission as well. And um, you know, I'm sorry that that was your experience and and that happened to you. Uh, did you think about communicating this anywhere else, or what what was it about the police commission, or why the police commission? Why was that the venue for for sharing this? That's a really interesting question because I normally didn't even know that the police commissioner had a public input aspect to it. I was actually on Twitter, and I was I was raging on Twitter. You know, yeah, Twitter yeah. rage is real, right? <laughs> and uh, so I had my video up. I had a video up saying, you know, this is not the kind of Canada I want to live in. I want to reclaim my flag. And I saw a message from Councillor Salvador about police commission. And I thought, you know what? This is the right venue for me because mm. I can't just, uh, I'm going to use a bad word. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I can't just bitch about it on Twitter. I just have to do something about it and at least have my voice heard. So when I saw Councillor Salvador's tweet, I thought here is an appropriate venue for me to talk to people who might actually listen to my concerns and have the power to do something about it. So I want to jump onto that little through line there because we've heard several times this past week, both with the uh, chair of the police commission in his op-ed and from Chief Dale McFeenis media conference and indeed at the police commission meeting that the protests were safe. There were no harm done and the police did a wonderful job of keeping Edmontonians safe. And I wanted to know that, you know, you went there, you shared your experience, you obviously had a bit of a different take than what was being presented. How did it make you feel? And did you feel like your concerns were heard at the police commission? That's a good question. The honest answer is, I don't know. I know that I wanted to express what I felt to a venue where I hoped my voice would be heard, but the constant... It was almost like a denial of my experiences in some ways, saying, oh, everything was safe, everything is fine, we kept everybody safe, nothing happened. But that was not my experience, you know? So I felt slightly gaslighted in a way. In some ways, when I actually spoke to the police commissioner, I, I didn't feel unheard. But at the same time, I didn't feel like anything was going to happen differently because I shared this. I'm hoping that... They do take my voice seriously and they do take the voice of the people who spoke at the commission seriously. But honestly, I can't see that happening, you know, and that's really sad. Well, thank you for sharing your experience with us and for coming and talking to us a little bit about, um, you know, how how speaking to the police commission went. I, too, hope that they listen to your concerns and everyone who either spoke up at the meeting or have sent messages into them. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. On Saturday, I know exactly what Michelle was talking about. My daughter, my wife, and I had gone to the Tuatana Bridge for the first time to walk along and see the, the beautiful artwork. And we were coming back home. We live on, as you know, 104th Street downtown. And as we were walking back, coming down Jasper Avenue, the protest group was right behind us, turning on to Jasper Avenue. And we actually turned off of Jasper right before Enterprise Square, where uh, Michelle uh, said she was she and her son were waiting for for the bus and and went up uh, 102nd avenue so we avoided it but you know uh, i just maybe we would have had a very similar experience and yeah when you have a young one with you you're you're thinking about their safety we had the luxury of seeing the protest coming and being able to go and and avoid it uh, whereas michelle didn't so it's just horrible that she had that experience and you know on that related note because Earlier, we glamorized the counter-protesters a little bit. And while it was happening, I had a couple texts that said, hey, do you want to come join this thing? And it does seem like something that I would do. But I think Michelle's comments really resonated with me because I declined to go because I was scared, like just frankly scared, maybe of a protester, maybe of a police officer. It only takes one person that punches you in the head in the wrong way and your skull is fractured for life. Maybe I have permanent brain damage. It doesn't take a lot. Our bodies are very squishy. If someone is walking up to you and they're screaming at you that you're a sheep, that you need to take off the mask, that you're raising your children wrong, that's scary. And a single action from that person could be catastrophic to you for the rest of your life. So to say that 
when those events are happening, nothing bad is happening, no conflict, no harm, no danger. I don't buy it because I was scared at my keyboard warrior home. But the police are supposed to keep us safe, Troy. And uh, according to the chair of the police commission, John McDougall, they did. So he published an op-ed this week in uh, Post Media, basically saying that he trusts and expects the members of the police service under the direction of the chief to make decisions that ultimately serve to keep Edmontonians safe. And he closed his op-ed saying that the police commission will deliver governance and oversight, not by taking sides or engaging in heated discussions or, or anything like that, but ensuring that the police officers directed by the chief are making the right decisions to keep everybody safe. And I think it's fair to say that his op-ed went over like a lead balloon, and not many people thought that this was a great take. But more than that, at the police commission meeting today, they had a part of the agenda that was de de devoted to questions from the media. And Duncan Kinney from the Progress Report asked specifically about this op-ed that John McDougall wrote. Thank you uh, for uh, allowing me to ask a follow-up question. Uh, again, Vice Chair or, or the Chair, even any of these commissioners can answer this question. I mean, considering everything we've heard today from the public uh, about the police's non-response to the flagrant law breaking that has gone down in downtown Edmonton for the past three weeks, do you think it was appropriate for Chair McDougall to write an op-ed where essentially he stood behind the police and said they're doing a great job? And there was silence. And then John McDougall said, I'm going to recuse myself from this discussion. And then there was more silence. And then Eric Amptman, who's the vice chair of the commission, stumbled over his words a little bit. Yeah, again, I, I would I would point out that we're a diverse group of people with diverse opinions. You know, I, I we don't have control over what other members of, of the commission think. You know, at times we agree. Wholeheartedly the chair, the chair speaks for you, though. The chair is the official spokesperson for the commission. He's speaking for everyone. That's why I address my question to everyone on the commission. Is he speaking for all of you? Until one of the other commissioners, Jody Callahue's Stonehouse, spoke up. Thank you, Duncan. I think this is a very important question. And as we've heard today, uh, there has been no harm. No one was hospitalized. No one was shot. Uh, we minimized and lifted community safety and well-being, which of course is the priority of the police commission and the police service. And we also heard today that all emergency routes uh, were kept open to ensure that people who needed access to hospitalization had access to hospitalization. We also live in a country that lifts democracy. And from what I've witnessed, our police service ensured that protesters had their right to protest in a safe manner and also ensured that counter protesters were safe and that no altercations happened so that no human beings were harmed. So at this point, I would have to say that what John McDougal, Chair McDougal wrote uh, is of the position of the commission and that we are embodying community safety and well-being as our priority mandate and no one was harmed during these times. We understand that honking horns uh, are incredibly frustrating and infuriating. Uh, we get the tension, but the, pri the primary objective was to ensure public safety and well-being and public safety was upheld. Thank you for your question. No one else spoke up. The two city councillors who are members of the police commission did not say, hang on a minute, John McDougall does not speak for me. Nobody else spoke up. This was a really damning moment for me. On one hand, I understand board governance and I understand the precarious position that councillors Sarah Hamilton and Ann Stevenson were put in there. I didn't feel so hard as to excuse them for essentially confirming that in their role as oversight of the Edmonton Police Service, their position after hearing from multitudes of speakers, none of the speakers, by the way, showed up and said, we think the police did a great job. All of them said, we need to do better. To see the two councillors, after having had the discussion about the EPS budget and lack of EPS accountability, say, we, the ones who hold the police accountable, are fine with 100% of the things that have happened. And the chair speaks for us when he says, we want no material changes to the Edmonton Police Service's behavior. That was pretty galling. And it reminds me of the comment I made just last week, that the single greatest way to get a councillor on side with the police 
put them on the police commission. Suddenly, they will never disagree with the police. Troy, as I listened to that meeting today, I kept thinking of you and I kept thinking of that statement because uh, I think it couldn't be more more accurate. One thing that wasn't accurate was actually uh, Jody Callie Stonehouse's response and to Duncan Guinea's question where she she wanted to highlight the fact that there was no injuries or no damage. And, and she said that no uh, emergency routes were disrupted or anything like that. And in fact, we know that that is not true. Earlier in the meeting, we heard that of course, emergency routes were disrupted because there was a convoy with tractors in the middle of the city. Uh, but what the police said is that because of the emergency operations center and the partners that they have with fire and others, they were able to make sure that vehicles could in real time be rerouted. Uh, and to their knowledge, none of those emergency vehicles were unable to get where they needed to go. So uh, a little bit of a distinction, I think, but an important one in that maybe we got a little bit lucky or have been lucky so far that these vehicles haven't been more disrupted than they they might otherwise have been. I don't want to sound dramatic. This week, it has become clear to me that the Edmonton Police Commission is a failed organization and is not going to successfully deliver accountability to Edmonton Police Service. Full stop. It has failed. One of the things that was most clear to me is this week, it was abundantly clear that the Edmonton Police Service was in hot water with the public and in hot water with council. There was mass outrage with the EPS handling of the convoy protest. There was mass disappointment in the behavior of the police. And we haven't even talked about the plane, of course. So if you are the leader of an organization that has had mass outrage tanking in the polls and you're going to what is essentially supposed to be a job review. You're going in front of the Edmonton Police Commission, your oversight board, to talk about your performance. You should be scared. That's the feeling that you should have as the police chief. You should be ready to defend your actions if you think you did well. And that is absolutely not the vibe of the police commission. Even counselors that were asking questions were very careful to preface all of their questions with, thank you so much for your service. I know you've already addressed this and I know you're doing a great job, but just like walk me through some of your thinking when you're doing a great job about how you'll continue to do a great job that you're doing a great job of doing. It was disgusting to me how deferential the entire board was to the police that they're there to hold accountable. The chief and the superintendent had full authority to do whatever they want in the meeting. It was talking to the commission rather than answering to the commission. And if that is the setup, if that is the makeup, it is not possible for us to hold the police accountable, not with this structure. No, I think it's very clear. This structure has significant challenges uh, from an accountability point of view. And uh, many times throughout the meeting today, it was like, what is the point of this? I want to just bring up something here that happened in the meeting to just hammer this point home. Uh, there was one of the items on the, uh, on the agenda was a, a budget update. And we heard during the council debate in December that the police were projecting that they were going to be in a deficit. Today, they reported to the commission their 2021 year-end deficit. It is about $7.4 million, slightly larger than the 6.2 they were thinking it would be in December when they told council that. They are now in deficit for both their operating budget, but also for the police reserve. The numbers aren't so important here. What I wanted to point out is that not a single commissioner asked a question about this. Not a question about what are you doing about this? How are we going to get back into the black? What are we doing about the reserve? What changes have you made to make sure this doesn't happen again? What are you doing for planning in the year ahead so that we don't end up in a deficit again? Not a single question. And so either those questions happen behind closed doors somewhere else, or they're not happening. And either way, it's a broken accountability mechanism for what is the largest, single largest budget item of, of our city budget. All right. One other thing about the meeting I really wanted to highlight. So as you say, you know, you should be coming into this thinking it's like a job review or you've got an opportunity to say something here. You know that more people are paying attention to this police commission meeting than probably have ever paid attention to a police commission meeting. John McDougall, the chair of the police commission, wrote the op-ed. He obviously has an item on the agenda for a report from the chair. And when that item came up on the agenda, here's what he said. Uh, agenda item eight is chair report. I have nothing to report. That's it. They just moved right along. Not a single thing. He couldn't even say, I stand by what I wrote in the op-ed and I support 
the members of our police service and the great, great work that they're doing. Like just nothing, nothing. <sighs> I hear you sighing, Troy. Yeah. You know, I had to make sure that was audible in the microphone. Academically, I can understand the separation between politicians and the police. I can understand why this police commission exists. I've seen The Wire and the mayor directing police to arrest specific drug dealers doesn't work out well. Right. There are reasons why that is not the greatest system. But honestly, maybe it's better than ours right now. This so clearly is not working and so clearly has given the Edmonton police chief almost tyrannical authority to do whatever he wants. Now, I'm not saying it's exactly like this, but Mac, do you remember when Donald Trump... Oh, God, sorry. I I felt gross (laughs) even saying that. Do you remember when Donald Trump was running for election and he made that offhand, disgusting comment that he was basically like, I could shoot someone in the middle of a public square and still win this election? Yeah, I feel like that's the impunity that police feel like they have. They can do anything they want and who's going to stop them. And it was made very clear that the police commission will not. And I think that's what gave Chief Dale McPhee the gall and the wherewithal and the impunity to go on live stream on the internet and give the press conference that he gave this week. He talked at the commission meeting about why he did that. And he said that it's clear that there needs to be more communication about what's happening. But what we saw with his YouTube media availability was a one-way dialogue. It was him talking at people, not communicating with people, not listening to the many concerns that people have. He was repeatedly dismissive of what he just calls in blanket terms social media, which I take to mean anyone who disagrees with him. He just does not think that Anyone who posts on social media could have a point or that he should pay any attention to them. He repeatedly said that on the media availability. He said it again multiple times throughout the commission meeting. And uh, he ended that media availability with a pretty disheartening interaction with Duncan Kinney. Duncan Kinney, of course, is journalist and advocate with the Progress Report. He's antagonistic. He gets under people's skin. He says things out loud that other people might not. And it's very clear that he and the chief do not see eye to eye. But still, the way that Chief McPhee handled that, I thought was really inappropriate. Based on this press conference, it sounds like DPS is going to do the exactly the same thing this weekend that they did last weekend, you know, next to nothing for a convoy that is blatantly breaking the law and a swift crackdown on any counter protest that inconveniences the convoy. Are we just going to see the same thing that we saw last weekend? Well, Duncan, again, we disagree and you're stating an opinion rather than a question, which doesn't surprise me. Uh, But what we're going to do is our best to keep citizens safe and we'll just leave it at that. But thanks for the question, Duncan. But you keep talking about public safety, right? There's been three weekends of this. It's all been incredibly peaceful. So why won't you enforce the law? Are you talking about the bylaw where we laid 70 tickets, Duncan? But if that's what you are... Yeah, nine whole honking charges, nine whole noise charges, that's what I'm getting to. Yeah, no, I mean, I think what you're looking for is for us to put people on in jail for honking their horns and, you know... Thanks, Duncan. Thanks, Duncan. Again, we know your opinions. We've heard them many times over. Just keep them coming. Thank you. As an aside, I think Duncan Kenny's interaction with the Edmonton police chief is the exact reason that I don't have taproot media credentials for these interviews. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Progress Alberta, uh, they broke a story this week about a plane, a secret plane, a plane that belongs to the Edmonton police, but Don't talk about it. It's secret. Mac, we have a helicopter. We have another helicopter. Why do the police have an airplane? This is a great question. Uh, It came up at the police commission meeting, and I want to play for you the answer that Deputy Chief uh, Brzezinski gave about what they used the plane for. We have those uh, circumstances where we have very sophisticated criminals in our city that we need to monitor. And uh, that's why the plane is used. It could be for drug trafficking, terrorism, 
homicide, sexual assault, those sort of offenses. I'm not sure what kind of super sophisticated criminals they have. And I also just cannot wrap my head around how an airplane would help them do that. The chief talked about at the commission meeting today that now that people know the location of where they keep their plane, they might have to do things differently with the new plane they want to buy. They want to replace this existing one with a $4.3 million brand new plane. Troy, do you know where all of the airports are in the region? Are there any hidden airports that you don't know about? If you had a plane, could you just park it in your garage? Careful, Mac. Uh, we're <laughs> very, getting dangerously close to revealing the location of the confidential airport. Uh, I just I don't understand, A, what this plane would be used for, B, why it would be any different than the two helicopters, which they were asked about. And the answer that the police always give about this is that they can't give you any information for operational reasons. They don't want to give anything to the criminals that might give them a heads up about their super secret plane. I want to jump on that point quickly, Mac, because you and I are both software developers. And it is amazing to me that the concept that is so obvious in mathematics and software has not permeated down to the rest of the world. And that's security through obscurity is not security at all. That is, if you are trying to remain secure by just hoping someone doesn't guess something, then it's not secure. The police, if their operational structure is so fragile that a tweet or someone who sees a plane at an airport is enough to compromise their entire investigative pipeline, that means it sucks and they need to be better at their job. <laughs> or just not spend $4 million on an airplane that they really, really don't need. The CBC's Janice Johnston, who has picked up the story and has been reporting about it, asked a couple of questions also at the commission about you know, why they needed the plane and how they acquired it so privately and, and all of these kinds of things. And they were really dismissive of her. Basically, you know, she pointed out that the Edmonton Police Service is the only one in Canada that has two helicopters and a fixed wing aircraft. And she wondered why, what made Edmonton different? And they simply said, oh, no, you got to go do your research better. There are other services that have planes, but we can't talk about them because we don't want to give away their their operational secrets. They also said that this plane was acquired the proper way. They followed all of the procurement rules and said that they discussed it at the time in camera. Alan Bolstad, who is a city councillor from 1992 to 2004, so during the period in which the police purchased this airplane, which was 1993, told CBC, quote, I never heard anything about a plane. I'm sure it would have been a high-profile issue if it had been made public at that time, end quote. One other thing about this, we asked as you recall, back during the election about uh, on the Taproot survey about police requests for capital projects and how council should respond. Now, I'm seeing that the premise of this question is flawed because these requests don't even come to council if they're happening uh, in, in closed-door meetings and, and they don't aren't made public. But the vast majority of all of the respondents to our survey said that council should closely scrutinize any and all requests, including the councillors that were elected and are currently serving. So I hope they follow through on that. Okay, Max. So we've talked a lot about the police and we've been all over the map because it's, you know, a complicated issue of governance. I think the takeaways for me this week are the EPS spends money with impunity and in fact buys planes without telling anyone. The EPS runs roughshod over the Edmonton Police Commission, and there's no true accountability mechanism. The mayor is deferential to the police chief when he says he's doing something. The mayor believes him. And, Mac, that when citizens speak, when citizens make their voices heard, both on social media and through the proper channels, they are handedly dismissed, gaslit, and their concerns are ignored. Mac, I'm getting a pretty hopeless vibe from my summary. I'm getting that too, and I think your summary is is bang on. We're recording this on Thursday. That means we are very close to another Saturday. The police have said they are preparing for another convoy to come to Edmonton. We've seen significant changes over the last week at the Coots border crossing, the bridge in Ontario, what's happening in Ottawa right now. Who knows what will happen 
here in Edmonton on Saturday. But the police don't seem to think that anything needs to be done differently from their point of view. Yeah, the police, in fact, do know what will happen on Saturday. But they have told us that issuing noise tickets is not something that they intend to do. Uh, BT Dubs, nine. Nine was the number of noise tickets issued. We didn't mention that. That happened in the eons that have happened since the past episode. Uh, okay, one other thing, Troy. <laughs> yeah. The chief at the meeting said that they issued, I think it was 20 distracted driving tickets. And he wanted to highlight that because it costs so much more if you get a distracted driving ticket than a noise ticket. Just like a complete dismissal of the concerns that so many Edmontonians have raised. People are concerned about the noise. <laughs> Just shocking. Well, Mac, while we're talking about things that we didn't get to cover, hey, I want to issue just a public apology to members of city council this week who did some good work. Councillor Salvador, for example, who put forward a unanimously supported motion to have 480 kilometers of protected multi-use pathways built by 2026. That is an astronomically high number and incredible. And Mac, you know what we're going to do this week? We're not going to cover it because we already talked about the police. Don't worry, it's coming back to council next week. So we'll get another chance to, to bring it up, just like we'll probably also talk about LRT and how council made some decisions this week about prioritization for how to expand the network. Northside, getting their LRT is the cliff's note there. But Mac, we've gone long. We've gone into despair. We've gone into a place from which there is no recovery. Well, we're bad boys, Troy. What are you going to do? <laughs> oh, Mac. Oh, no. I should not have given you the ability to jump in <laughs> with that. Uh, <laughs> The one way we know we can get better is through education. And where better to get your education than at Edmonton Public Schools? Here's an ad. Get ready to take the guesswork out of choosing a school. Go to an Edmonton Public Schools virtual open house. Ask your questions to learn about their schools and programs. And find the one that feels right. All from the comfort of home. Find virtual event dates and learn how to make the most out of your online visit at openhouse.epsb.ca. Know before you go and feel confident and excited when you get there. That's it. That's all we have for this week. I, you know, I've said it once or twice in this episode, but I think it bears repeating. As we got through this weekend, I think at least in me and in people around me was a hope that people were going to show up for this police commission meeting, that this was going to demand action. We've seen it in the past with other city initiatives. You know, I'm thinking when pools are slated for closure, when mm -hmm. mask bylaws are up for debate, when there's a transit item like the LRT that's going to affect multitudes of Edmontonians. We've seen those public hearings that last three days. We've seen Edmontonians shown up and we've seen council's direction change. And I think everyone hoped that was what was going to happen here. And it did not. And it was clear that it will not, that no amount of public outcry is going to change the police's course of action. We need a gov stronger governance model that changes the police from outside because the police are not going to reform from within and the chief has no intentions of doing anything differently. So that's depressing. But if there's any takeaway this week, we now have a plan of action. We can't work within the existing police system. We need to do better. And council, I'm thinking specifically councillors Stevenson and councillors Hamilton who are on the police commission, they probably should take these next couple days and think hard about how they're going to make it clear that they intend to do better. Because from what we saw as their role as commissioners this week, not good. That is not good accountability. On that note, we're speaking municipally. Speaking municipally. 